Hi, my name is Martin Purnell and welcome to Off Grid Christianity, a weekly podcast for those who go or don't go to church and disillusioned. This podcast series is to encourage via conversation and not necessarily change your mind prior to listening. You can contact us well by email ogc at accessradio.biz, business spelt B-I-Z. Check out our Facebook page, Off Grid Christianity. And we have our own website now, offgridchristianity.co.uk. So please enjoy today's guest, who heard of someone who had become a Christian after receiving a 40-day prayer guide. Our guest thought, why don't we write a prayer guide for people who are not religious and don't go to church? Try Praying was born. How do you write a booklet? What research was involved? Who chose the black and white and cyan colour scheme? How often is he mistaken for the lead guitarist from Slade? It gives me great pleasure to welcome the other Dave Hill. Hello, Dave. How you do, sir? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yes, there, there are, in fact, a lot of David Hills around. We're, we're very common. <laughs> and you haven't got a Dudley accent, so uh, you're not that Dave Hill, are you, from Slade? No, I'm not. <laughs> how, many, how many times have you been misunderstood and thought, oh, we're, that's who's coming to church? <laughs> This, no, not that particular one, actually. But uh, yeah, there's some people do say, yeah, have I met you before? And so on. But yeah, no. I was getting quite excited when I was preparing the interview for you because yeah. the previous person I interviewed, his name was Dave Gregory. Well, still is Dave Gregory. <laughs> but because of my long career in sort of music and buying records and everything else like that, uh, one of my favourite bands of all time is XTC, and the lead guitarist of XTC was Dave Gregory. Right. So I had Dave Gregory last week, and now I've got Dave Hill this week. <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint you on that side. <laughs> that's all right. I must probably have Paul McCartney next week, and we'll find that that's not him either. <laughs> Let's go for it. Five important questions, or maybe not so important questions. Let's see how you get on, please. Oh, by the way, though, where are we speaking to you from? Uh, I live in Edinburgh. We've been in Edinburgh for a long time, yeah. About 13 years now. Yorkshireman originally, and that's in my blood. Whereabouts in Yorkshire? I was in East, in Hull. That's where I grew up, yeah. Could wax lyrical about that as well, but we won't. Let's go for the five questions, if that's okay. Question number one. If you could invite anybody from history for an evening meal, alive or dead, so that you could ask them questions, who would it be? Well, if I was going to be having an evening meal with somebody, I would actually want them to be alive rather than dead. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I think I would go um, trivially for... King Harold, who came to a sticky end with an arrow a uh, long time ago. Oh, yes. Yeah. Why? Because I think I'd want to ask him how he did it. Don't you think it was a bit unfair that he had to march his men 200, 250 miles north to York and to fight off the Norwegians? And then a few weeks later, he had to march them all down to the south to fight off the, the Normans. Don't you think it was a bit unfair that you're being attacked by two armies at one time and you had to go that way? And how did you do it? You know, that is a long way. Yeah. It's okay if you can get to train. Soldiers marching and horses and so on. And that would be it, yeah. What else do we know about Harold apart from the fact he got an arrow in his eye? His, his opponents were actually his relatives. It's terrible. But William the Conqueror uh, was related to him. I think he was second cousin once removed or something like that. <laughs> the Harold or the Toskid, whatever it was, who was the Norwegian, he was related to him as well. So I just think oh, wow. family feuds need to be sorted out in a much better environment than marching armies against each other. Reminds me of the First World War, yeah. certain connections there. Yeah. So what's your love of history then? I'm not a scholar at all, but I do like kind of the way people lived in the past and how they manage that. And I am interested in the in the flow, the ebb and flow of nations and how those things happen. So, yeah. Interesting. Well, that's a very good choice. I don't know what language he would speak to you. Any ideas? Yeah, not a clue. I'm, yeah, I'm not really up on my Anglo-Saxon languages. So, But if we can bring him back to life, I think we might be able to convert him into speaking English, proper English. So you should be all right. I would think so. <laughs> And you'll be pleased to know no one's ever chosen that answer before. All right. And he's on the bio tapestry as well. So he is. Question two. Who is your favourite biblical character or favourite biblical story or favourite parable, please, David? I'm going to go for the donkey. Which one? That is the donkey that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Trotty menu. <laughs> so I just think it's a fascinating moment. I mean, this is a, this is really silly, but... Um, I just think that donkey would have had an awful lot of donkey days when it's carrying yeah. people's loads and people riding on it and carrying stuff around and being in the heat and so on. But I would think in the, the years that that donkey had of its donkey days, that particular day was the best one in its life. And it's not because of 
him being a donkey, but it's because of who rode on it. Yeah. So I just love that love that idea. It's a kind of superficial idea, but you know that that's when all the fun started. Uh, was when Jesus got on the donkey and rode. That's when the crowds assembled. That's when there was all the hoopla and the cheering and the excitement and the significance of the king going into the Jerusalem and so on. That's when it all happened. So it was who rode on the donkey. Uh, but I just love love the idea of that donkey having the best donkey day ever. Well, that is brilliant. That's a great answer. Yeah, you're the first person to choose that, by the way. We've had Balaam's ass before. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. When I said trotty menu, your face looked slightly blank as if you didn't know what I was talking about. No, I didn't, no. Cast your mind back to when I would have been about seven in primary school and the RE lesson, she would read a story about trotty menu, the donkey, and then one day took Jesus into Jerusalem. Mm. And I have remembered that ever since, so much so that I then was able to track down the book when our son was born to think, I'm going to read these stories to him as well. And I read it to him and he was bored stiff. <laughs> Trotty Menu is a book all about the life and times of the donkey. How interesting. I mentioned that uh, a week ago to somebody and um, he liked it. It's very encouraging and so on. But he said, you know, that the donkey had another day. He was feeling rather depressed a few weeks later. And uh, he decided that he really enjoyed that moment when all the crowds were cheering and so on. So he decided to go back up to the Mount of Olives and do the same same journey again and he was just really really disappointed because there wasn't the excitement it was really dull and it was just an ordinary road and so on and the reason was because all the excitement was it wasn't about the donkey there you go i wonder if that's in the book yeah i didn't read the rest of the book once my son said oh I don't know yeah yeah maybe that's where he got it from but yes it's a very good point i think it was written by a lady called nan goodall i think it's called donkey's glory okay thank you very much indeed good sir Question three. This would be interesting then. If you were Prime Minister for the day and could change any law or impose a new law, what would it be? Uh, well, I'm going to go into my grumpy old man mode here. Oh, we like grumpy old men. That's me. I want to get rid of, I want to ban segregated cycle lanes from the roads. <laughs> Brilliant. Tell me more. We have so many of them in Edinburgh. We've got lots and lots of potholes and lots and lots of segregated uh, cycle lanes. Of course, as a driver, I'm, I get irritated by them. Yeah. But I think I'd like to argue that they're dangerous because um, people can trip over them. They're just these kind of big plastic sleepers, as it were, with uh, signs on, with uh, warning signs on them and so on. And I think people can trip over them. Yes. I think they're probably even a danger to cyclists as well. Yes. As a grumpy old man, and I would say that, I would compromise nevertheless and say, let them be painted cycle lanes so that it's very visible but it's the segregated ones with the, the blocks in the road that I would like to get rid of. And they should spend the money on fixing the potholes instead of making things difficult for drivers. That reminds me of a, another podcast guest from about six, seven months ago now. She actually wanted to have segregated pedestrian lanes in pavements so that those who want to go faster can <laughs> go faster. <laughs> so maybe you two could, yeah. uh, could team up. Give me her name and address, I'll go with it. <laughs> well, her name's Jenny. If you go through the podcast and the previous one, <laughs> you'll find her. Question four. Outside of family events, what has been your most enjoyable day out to date, please, sir? Well, I'm thinking of a time last year, actually. I'm a great rugby fan. I love it. I love it when the Six Nations are on. And living in Scotland, and for a long, long time, I support Scotland. But I am English, so I support England as well. So any team that is playing either of those, I'll be supporting Scotland or England. What do you do in the Calcutta Cup then? Well, I was just going to say that's where I find that's when I discover my schizophrenia because <laughs> I, I just I just don't know which way to jump. <laughs> <laughs> for those that don't know, Calcutta Cup is when England plays Scotland in rugby, and for some reason Scotland always play really well. My daughter uh, loves uh, rugby as well, and we just had a lovely time last year during the Six Nations at, at Murrayfield. Here in Edinburgh, and we watched um, we watched a match together, and Scotland won. But it was um, it's just the whole the whole event itself, you know, the music, the crowds, the cheering, and so on. It was just a lovely time and a great father daughter time as well. Yeah, I've had the privilege of watching England many times, a home and away, and so yeah. I've been to quite a few England Scotland matches. Oh yeah, I can tell you, I'm not schizophrenic during those games at all. I'm this discerning that from your accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The last time I we went, my son was uh, eight or nine at the time. And I always promised him I'd take him to women to watch England games. So he came over from, from Northern Ireland. And it was like, do you know what? Let's go to Trafalgar Square because I know that's where all the Scots are going to go to. 
And so we did. He was wearing his England shirt. I was wearing my England shirt, you know, father and son. And I kid you not, there must have been about 10,000 Scots mm. in Trafalgar Square and there were yeah. two English people. <laughs> <laughs> and we were treated right royally. You know, you've got uh, all the jibes and everything else. But it was all done in the best possible taste. It was very, very good. Yeah, very good. And I saved a Scotsman from falling into the railway line afterwards. But there you go. <laughs> good answer. Thank you. Question five. What has been your most embarrassing moment to date then, please, sir? Well, there are a few, but I'll pick out one of them. This is, this is going back decades when um, I was in pursuit of Claire, who became my wife. Oh. And my first occasion when I stayed at her house with her parents. And there were several things that went on, but one in particular uh, was that they had in the, in the hall a large Chinese lantern uh, lamp and it was it was right up in the top in the landing and the stairs went kind of round and, and up onto the kind of the, the first floor and this Chinese lantern it was a large one and it just had something on it I don't even know know what it was a little fleck or something or this I leant over and just touched this thing that was on this large Chinese lantern and to my utter horror the thing was so old that it completely unraveled and all, the whole of the thing dissembled in front of me and the wire came out and so on. It just, there was a huge pile of dust. But the thing was, as soon as it started unraveling, I was trying to stop it from doing that, but I couldn't. It just continued and the whole thing disintegrated right in front of my eyes. I made a complete mess. So I had to confess to that. There's no way that I could cover that up. No. Pile of dust and it was gone. <laughs> and somebody had done it and that somebody was me. <laughs> so what happened? Well, Claire's mother was very forgiving and she just said, oh, that's all right. It's very old. We needed a new one anyway. So, But as punishment, you have to marry my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a brilliant story. Well, David, where should we start then? Obviously, we will talk about a certain tri-praying organisation that you founded. Yeah. But I did notice that in uh, my intensive research, you went to university and studied maths, if I remember rightly. So what went wrong when you left university? <laughs> well, I actually went to study um, at Birmingham University, such as my decision-making ability. I wasn't a Christian, but um, <clears throat> on the days away, I checked out Sheffield. This was to study civil engineering. I also checked out Birmingham. And when I was at Sheffield, it was a very dreary, rainy day. Uh, but when I went to Birmingham, it was a lovely sunny day. So which university do you think I, I chose? <laughs> so I went to, to Birmingham University, studied civil engineering, and um, I did a week of that. And I thought, I've made a mistake. This is, I don't want to do this. So I swapped over to the maths department, um, but I missed a week, you see. So I spent the next three years trying to catch up on the, on the missing week. I can understand <laughs> so that. I eventually got a degree, but it's during that time that I, I became a Christian. And uh, it was through the witness of somebody who engaged me in conversation and friendship. And uh, we, we argued up the way, down the way. I had a whole pile of questions from my brother, two years my elder, who was working his way as a teenager through to becoming an atheist. Oh, good. Yeah, we like those. I've got lots of questions that he had put to me, which I couldn't answer. You know, how come you believe the Bible when it's full of myths and fairy tale? Mm. Oh, I don't know. Why do you think God is so good when there's things like death and disease and diarrhea and malaria and stuff? I said, oh, I don't know. You know, I, I just found being an agnostic a much more, a much safer place intellectually. Yes. And off to university, and I met this guy, Bill, a confident Christian. And I thought, oh, you can't be that confident. You can't be that sure of these things. So he got all my brother's questions vicariously. Ah. You know, how come you, you say um, you believe in, believe in God? You know, how come he's so good when there's all this stuff like death and diarrhea and malaria and so on? And he kind of answered that. And what about the Bible full of myths and fairy tales? And he kind of answered that. And... Over a period, I kind of launched into this here. There's a whole kind of chapter here. I'll try and make it brief. That's brilliant. Yeah, through the process, it was it lasted about nine months, the gestation period. But I, I just discovered that there's a lot more evidence to believing in Jesus than I'd ever thought beforehand. And you do not have to hang your brains on the wall to become a Christian. And as an agnostic, I was finding myself in the weaker position intellectually. So that was a surprise. And the other thing was that when he was talking about his faith, it just seemed real. You know, talking about a relationship with God is not simply a matter of going to church and so on, which was the kind of stuff that I'd picked up uh, from previously. 
you know, trying to, you know, go to church and be good was all I thought a Christian was. And I didn't like going to church and I wasn't particularly good. <laughs> anyway, Bill challenged me. He said, Dave, is there any reason, is there a good reason why you don't want to receive Christ into your life? Wow. Uh, so I'd, you know, I'd fob him off with, with some, and some response to that. Uh, and I realized he was asking the same question every time we met. And the last time he asked it, the penny dropped because I realized that he's, he's asking not have you got any reasons why not, but are they good? And at that point, I realized that they weren't very good. I actually felt as though God was tapping me on the shoulder and saying, you need to get off the fence because the fence is crumbling and you need to decide which way you're going to fall. So I decided I'd become a Christian. And I, I, I said, no, there isn't a good reason why not. And Bill said, well, do you want to pray to receive Christ now? And I said, what, here? And he said, yes. I said, oh, no, no, I'm not going to do it in a public place. <laughs> so, but anyway, I walked off to the library where I'd been working and second floor of the West Wing, Birmingham University Library, maths books in front of me, totally unreligious setting. <laughs> and I prayed and I said, God, if you're there, yeah, I'm not sure you are, but if you're there, I want to get to know you. And P.S. I don't want to kid myself about it. So that was a significant turning point. Within two weeks, uh, there were other little stages in it, but within two weeks, uh, there was an occasion when I was alone in my room and I, I just knew, like I'd never known anything in my life, that Jesus Christ was alive and he was present with me and had his hand on, on my life from then on. And that experience, I mean, it kind of triggered stuff I hadn't experienced yeah. before, joy and excitement and peace all rolled together. It lasted about four hours. I just knew that he was there. For those who are listening in a moment then, David, how did you get into that position where Jesus was with you for those four hours? What can you remember in the lead up to that? Yeah, I'm not even sure. I can't remember. It's I was alone in my room and I had, the night before, I suppose this is significant, the night before I'd realised that what God wants us to do is to trust him. Mm -hmm. And so I had prayed the night before and I said, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to look for a particular experience, but I'm just going to trust that however long I live, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, whatever, I'm going to trust that during my life, I will get to know you. In, a, in essence, I surrendered my life to him. And it was the next day, it was a Saturday morning, and uh, I might have prayed. I don't know whether I did or not, but I just was aware. And even then, the skeptic in me could say, hey, hang on, what's going on here? Why is this happening? You know, is it because it's a nice day outside and it's triggered some great euphoric moment or whatever? It's a bit miserable outside and there was nothing that I could pinpoint, but I just knew. I actually wrote a letter to a friend uh, at another university. Uh, so I don't know what I wrote, but I just I basically said, hey, Rob, I've become a Christian. It's absolutely amazing. And I described it to him, sent it off, posted it. Never heard from him. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever happened to Bill, first of all? Uh, he, he worked with an organization called, it was called Campus Crusade for Christ. It's now Agape. Yeah, so he worked with them for a number of years and then went back to America where he was from. And the other question, of course, what was his answer when you said to him, yeah, well, the Bible's only full of myths and fairy tales? Can you remember what he said? What did he say? <laughs> right, well, that's the subject of another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. I'll hold you to that. There's a lot of stuff there, but, you know, it's, it's, it's history. Where it's history, it's history. Where it's poetry, it's poetry and, and so on. It doesn't claim to be a scientific textbook, but... Uh, you know, it's a collection of lots of different types of writings, but the historical side of it is so convincing. Yeah. You know, it connects with secular history and so on. Well, we'll do a podcast <laughs> in the years to come on that. <laughs> I'll send my lawyers around to your lawyers to uh, get up a contract and, you know, you can sign it accordingly. Thank you. <laughs> so there you are then. You've done your maths. What happened next then? I was looking for jobs and uh, thought I'd try and get into management in some some kind of management training scheme, whatever. I'd never really had a good... Uh, purpose in life but it was just I suppose essentially to get a good mm. job and get a good house and get a good wife and <laughs> that's that's as far as my scheme for life went but uh, during the in fact this is the last few weeks of uh, being at university uh, and in fact the very last week that God called me very clearly into Christian work uh, which was not part of the plan as far as I had a plan no it was it was very clear and uh I ended up joining Campus Crusade for Christ myself and was going to do that for a couple of years. And then 
get on with the rest of life. But um, I ended up being um, 23 years working with Campus Crusade for Christ or Agape. Wow. It's a bit like a cult, actually. It was hard to get out of. <laughs> no, no, that's a joke. <laughs> I, really... <laughs> I could just see it on the news tomorrow, splash yeah. across the tabloids. Campus Crusade, it was a <laughs> says former member. No, they were really good years. And uh, yes, yeah, so just involved in student work and um, subsequently connecting with churches and trying to encourage churches in evangelism and so on. As you know, I might have a sort of a sad sense of humour. Uh, there was one particular Christian band I used to get on really well with, and they used to count up every time they went on tour how many families he stayed with as one part but how many of those families throughout the UK tour would serve them lasagna when they got in? <laughs> it was always the number one go-to meal. Oh, great, lasagna. How have that since last night? So with that in mind then, with your 23 years of experience in Campus Crusade for Christ, what is the number one question they've asked you uh, as far as uh, the people who I thought they were atheists or agnostics? I think it would be in the realm of apologetics. I mean, we did, I was nine years working with students. Mm. I suppose that's where I cut my teeth in terms of conversation and simple faith sharing. And, you know, I can't remember the number of times we'd be going up the way and down the way with, with a student about the reliability of the New Testament and uh, the evidence for the resurrection and, and that, that area. So it's just, uh, I mean, the thing that gets my goat is people saying that when they discover I'm a Christian, I'm very happy for you. That must make you, that must give you a lot of peace, as it were, or whatever, which is true. But it's not uh, something which just works for me, as it were. It's not make, something that makes me happy, but it's objectively, externally, verifiably true. And therefore, it's something which is for everybody, not just for, for those who believe or those for, who are congenitally religious, as it were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're married to Claire, you've got four children, mm. and we will come to try praying in a minute as to what the rest of the podcast will be about. But off air, you and I were having a great chinwag and we were talking about my mm. wife and all her ailments. And then you just started to share about one yeah. of your four, Nathan. And I was hoping, mm. if you wouldn't mind, just to share for those that are in a similar situation at the moment where they're thinking, God, where are you in all this? What's going on? Or maybe those that are listening who aren't even Christians saying, God can't do this. Just share, please, if you mm. wouldn't mind about Nathan, what happened, please. Well, it is a long story. Uh, Nathan is 43 years old now. Wow. The first nine years of his life, entirely healthy, uh, normal child, uh, normal intelligence and healthy and vigorous and so on. But anyway, when he was nine, he started having seizures and that freak, completely freaked me out the first time that I saw him having a seizure. And I realized there's something very, very seriously wrong for Nathan. He was taken to the Edinburgh Sick Kids Hospital investigations, scans and so on. They thought they were seeing something on his brain, thought it was a brain tumor, thought they would uh, operate. And the seizure count was increasing each day. And um, so we were praying, we were praying our socks off for him, as were many other people mm. in Edinburgh at the time. And we were living right at the edge, as it were, of uh, seeing this horrible situation with our, with our dear son develop. In the event, I'll, I'll spare you some of the details, because it's too long a story, but yeah. um, what they thought was a tumour in the brain, it disappeared, but he was still left with uh, a seizure activity. And when I say seizure activity, that was not just the occasional seizure, you know, one seizure a week or two or three a month. He would have, for periods, over 100 seizures a day. He would just be going from one seizure to another seizure to another, and all the medication just wouldn't stop it. He was on a whole cocktail of anticonvulsant drugs. So month followed month, year followed year. Um, there were ebbs and flows in the, the whole seizure activity. But in the worst years, we actually counted them. We, kept, we keep a log of the seizures that he has, the daytime ones. The worst year, uh, he had 31,000, over 31,000 daytime seizures. So you can imagine what that's like in the family. Yes. So I'm, I'm sharing this. I really don't want, I'm not after sympathy in sharing this. No, no. We've, we've moved well beyond, but um, it, it was just a, a horrific time uh, for us as a family. And wonderfully, you know, things have improved. He does still have seizures. So I say he's 43 now. He does still have seizures, probably about one a day on average, which is still a lot yeah. as seizures go. 
but it's a lot better than 100 a day. <laughs> he's damaged, his brain is damaged. He it affected his, um, uh, his lexicon, so he finds it hard to put a sentence together, but his language has improved. And he was invalided, but he has uh, improved and he's mobile. So the situation has improved over the, over the years, but there've been an awful lot of really dark times when we could have lost Nathan many times. There's a danger in any particular seizure, single seizure, you could fall and break a, break a bone or have a cut or whatever. But um, with the frequency of seizures, you know, there were some really, really dark times. And amazingly, um, I mean, I suppose we could have given up. Yes. We could have thrown in the towel, could have thrown in the towel on our faith. God, why aren't you answering our prayers and so on? But somehow in the darkest times, that's when, if I've heard God speak, that has been when God has spoken. And amazingly, when I've been at the point of being willing to accept that maybe we will lose our son, they have been the times when God has given hope and, and given a brighter picture for Nathan's future. I'll tell you one incident. Please. Every night, when our kids were small, I would just, you know, last thing at night, I would just go and pray over them and, when in their cots or in their beds and so on. I'm not a very good prayer, contrary to reputation. <laughs> but I would do that with my kids and um, uh, all four of them. And uh, even though they'd grown up and they're out of their beds and in another city or another country at times, I would still pray over them last thing at night. So I do this with Nathan, and uh, I remember praying, you know, Lord, for tomorrow, please, could Nathan have no seizures? And he'd have seizures. So the next night I'm praying over him, say, Lord, tomorrow, please, no seizures, and you'd have seizures. And so it's just going on and on and on, you know, every day, every day, Lord, tomorrow, please, no seizures. And one time I remember he was in his bed and I prayed exactly that, I thought, oh, Lord, tomorrow, no seizures. And I thought, oh, stuff it. I know he's going to have seizures. <laughs> and um, I prayed that God would do something in me so that I could believe that actually Nathan would not have seizures. So what was fascinating was it wasn't tidy, but I think it was within a few days. Nathan had a day without any seizures, followed by another day and another day and another day and another day. A full week followed by another week followed by another week, followed by another week. We were on tenterhooks mm. thinking maybe God has finally answered our prayers. He went, would you believe, a remarkable 40 days without a single seizure. 40 is quite an important number, isn't it? It is. I, um, they started again, um, but uh, I, I thought, what's that all about? And what I know it's all about is that I know God answered my prayer that I know it's possible for Nathan to live without seizures. Yeah, I know that it's possible. And I looked up every occurrence of uh, <clears throat> the 40 days in the Bible. It's all over the Bible. You know, Moses is up on the mountain <clears throat> 40 days. Jesus fasted 40 days. The spies went into the land 40 days and, and so on. And I thought, well, I'm just going to take that one. The spies in the land for 40 days. And they came out with the fruit of the land. I thought, okay, that was, that was a foretaste of where they were going to be. The Israelites, yes. the foretaste, they would be in the land. They, they experienced it for 40 days, but actually it was a long time before they, they finally got in as a nation. And so I thought, right, I'm going to go with that one. That this was, for Nathan, this is a foretaste of what his future will be. Uh, and I now know that God can so work that Nathan can live without seizures. So, I mean, it's a long, long story. There's lots of dark times yeah. and lots of bright times. Nathan is an absolute gem of a person. We love him to bits. He's amused us and entertained us in many ways. Uh, it's a dark story, but it's full of light as well. Well, just thank you so much for sharing it. And uh, I suppose a punchline would be, if that's okay, two punchlines, actually. First of all, where, where does Nathan live now? He's, he's in Edinburgh with us. He's, um, for a long time, he was actually with us, and we were doing the care for him 24-7. But uh, now he's, he's in care. He has, a, he has a flat, and he needs carers. So as a little team of carers would look after him through the day and the night, two miles away from us. Wow. Well, hopefully he'll enjoy listening to this podcast <laughs> when, when it's released to the masses. Yeah. The second thing is that for those that are listening at the moment and they're like holding on by their fingernails to God, for those that are listening to podcasts in that kind of situation at the moment, what would you like to say to them? Good question. I think I would say God is faithful. It's easy to say that and to announce it. But when your experience seems to be flying in the face of that, 
it's hard to really embrace that but i i do believe that is that is true he is faithful he does love and he does care and and he is engaged intimately with our lives he's not distant attending to some activity on the far side of the universe but he is he's present in our lives and and he is good i would also say this which is a funny thing a slightly different context but um i've actually got a mug now podcast listeners can't see this but i'm holding a mug which actually says on the side of it actually i can <laughs> i remember another time i um staying at my daughter's house um when i was uh, really concerned and thinking i can't cope there's too much going on i'm not able to handle this i need to get out and i would make a cup of tea in the morning and i found this mug in my daughter's kitchen and i made myself a cup of tea and i, I kept reading actually i can and that really spoke to me it was kind of prophet, prophetic word through a mug, but it, um, it just really encouraged me. When we are in situations, when we're at the end of ourselves, when we just kind of, you think, there's no way out of this. I, I need to get out of mm. it. But actually, actually, I can. You know, God is with you. He gives us strength. He does en- enable us to cope. He's loving. He is good. He's faithful. Wow. Thank you. Please pass on our love to Nathan, and we look forward to hearing him tell us what he thought of the mm. podcast. Looking at the time, it's about time then we bring it up to date (laughs) and talk about, oh, I don't know, try praying. There you go. Let's talk about that. And I did say right at the very beginning that you heard someone talking about it and for 40 days, what can I do about that? We now know a bit more about 40 days. And you then thought, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to write my own prayer guide on this for those that might need help. That's one thing to think about it, but how do you actually go about doing it? So what what did you do? Well, it was... A 40-day prayer guide, funnily enough, that, that we ended up writing. And I have to say, by the way, that I, um, I hate prayer guides. I, I lose the will to live when I, when I see a prayer guide. But we ended up writing a 40-day prayer guide. And uh, I was at a conference and somebody said to me, oh, that 40-day prayer guide, that helped my aunt become a Christian. And I said, tell me about it. She said, well, her mother was praying for her aunt and her mother gave her the 40-day prayer guide. That she became a Christian as a consequence. Wow. Uh, so I said, well, that's absolutely wonderful. Um, but I would never give a 40-day prayer guide to a non-Christian. <laughs> it's just too too heavy. And it was just a little light bulb moment. Why don't we write a prayer guide for people who aren't religious and don't do church? So I ended up writing it and uh, making it seven days. And uh, we ended up calling it Try Praying. I'm holding it up so you can see it and all the yeah. listeners can see it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just a, it's a simple seven-day prayer guide, and it's for people who are not religious and don't do church. And it's got stories of answered prayer. It's got honest-to-God prayers that a decent, self-respecting agnostic can pray without perjuring themselves. So, for example, it's the prayer, begin, the first prayer in it is um, the one that I prayed at university, you know, God, if you're there, I'm not sure you are. Oh, wow. So and it just leads a person over seven, seven days, very accessible language, encouraging stories, bits of the Bible. But the message of Jesus is unraveled through the seven days and people engage with it. It helps them pray about stuff that's important in their lives, whatever that is, health, job, relationships, whatever their big issue. But through the seven days, it actually unravels the message of Jesus. And if a person uses it with any seriousness, they run a high risk of becoming a Christian at the end of it. And that's a risk I'm happy to take. Very good. <laughs> so that's the, you know, the booklet was written. Uh, this was still when I was in Yorkshire, actually, uh, before we moved back to Edinburgh. I'll spare you the details on my potted life history. But we, we moved back to Yorkshire for a while. Uh, that's where I had the idea for the Try Praying booklet. Got it printed. Uh, Martin, I am, uh, abs- I use the word bewildered when I talk about Try Praying. I have never known anything like this in, in my life that a little seed idea could actually grow and grow and grow. But it's just the, the simplest of things. There are now, they're currently printing another 50,000 copies, uh, which is going to take it up to 950,000 copies. We're nearly at a million. Wow. That the booklet has been printed, uh, different editions of it. There's a kid's edition and a youth edition. It's in America. Um, it's a Spanish edition. Tonight I've got a meeting with a little group of people in France who are translating it and wanting to get it printed and used there. I'm bewildered, you know, how could this be? So it's, you know, it's just a very exciting story. Yeah. I'll dive into a couple of little details on it, which which set the scene very helpfully. Please. 
we we ended up moving back to Edinburgh. There was an earlier edition of this, and fifteen thousand were printed, and we just about out of them, so it needed reprinting. But we moved back to Edinburgh, and I went to see a Christian who ran a high end graphic design studio in Edinburgh, and I I put the first edition on the table, and I explained about it. I said, look, this needs redoing. The point of it is. It's for people who are not religious and don't do church. Mm-hmm. And she got it. And I'll never forget the moment because her eyes filled with tears. And she said, this is huge. And on the inside, and this isn't false humility, but on the inside, no. I thought, it's only a booklet. What are you getting so excited about? <laughs> that was one incident. A few weeks later, I was asked to speak at a a little meeting of people who pray for the Scottish Parliament every week that it's sitting. Fantastic group, parliamentary prayer group. And uh, <clears throat> they wanted me to talk about try praying, so I did. I gave them all a copy and sold some stories and so on, and then they prayed. <laughs> you can use your, imagine here, your imagination here, but as I describe it, I say, uh, they're not quiet prayers. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so they really gave it some welly, and they prayed for Claire and me and for try praying. That's very encouraging and very affirming. But there's a lady there visiting, I think from South Africa, and she held up the Tri Praying booklet and she said, this booklet is for the nation. And I thought, again, on the inside, it's only a booklet. Mm -hmm. What are you getting so excited about? But then she changed what she said and said, no, actually, this booklet is for the nations, plural. And at that point, I was, was totally lost, dumbfounded. I had no idea what was going on, but people were seeing in this far, far more mm. than, I, than I ever imagined. So what's happened is, um, I suppose quite early on, I, I realized I had a nudge from the Lord. I do believe it was God. I don't get many nudges, but I yeah. this time I knew. And even just before the first edition was printed, I felt God say, you need to work out how this is going to be used. Because what is not needed is another piece of literature about prayer to sit on people's shelves and never be used. Yes. So it was very simple. Back of an envelope, two minutes, I wrote out a project for a church. And it's this. One week in a congregation, everybody gets a copy of the booklet. And that can include the kids and the youth as well with the other editions. Mm-hmm. And uh, so everybody gets a copy the, from the front. They're all encouraged to use it. You know, you've all got a copy this week. Use it yourselves. Uh, get familiar with it. That's week one. The next week, from the front, two-minute announcement or five-minute announcement or whatever, it could even be the sermon, but uh, it's just in its shortest form. It is, okay, we've all been using the booklet this last week. Some of you have been encouraged and others less so. But this week, we're all going to pray for a God-given opportunity to give this to a friend, a neighbor, a colleague, somebody we bump into, whatever. Yes. And here's what you say when you pass it over. Hey, look, why don't you try praying for a week and see what happens in your life? And that's your evangelistic starter in one sentence. So the project is use it and lose it. That's a great title. And I think because of that simplicity, the simplicity of the booklet and the the logo and so on, but the simplicity of that project uh, for a church has meant that it's, just so accessible for so many churches. It's a prayer and evangelism resource project for a church, and it just gets gets everybody praying and sharing their faith, or at least some of them. (laughs) No, that is fantastic. I could be totally wrong here, but as as you get older in life, you realise that numbers actually are quite important in the Bible. Mm. And then you also notice that colours are quite important as well. (laughs) So in my introduction, I talked about, let's find out. Now, let's just find out then. The colour scheme is great. It's black and white for try praying. I think it's a cyan colour backdrop, turquoise maybe. Yeah, turquoisey, turquoisey, greeny blue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why those colours? Well, I can't take any credit for that at all. That was this, the designer that I met, the graphic designer, way back. She put it together, and we loved it. <laughs> There's no hidden agenda on that then. Oh, that's what it refers to <laughs> no. Hezekiah seventeen verse six. Or <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like that then. No. No. <laughs> it's great though, isn't it? You felt you had a nudge, despite everything that's happened to you in your past. It's as if it's like all boiling up. Your past years are now for this, to take this on, take it further. Yeah. 
So I'd like those that are listening today to be encouraged by that, that whatever's happened to you in your past 20 years or whatever, actually God hasn't forgotten that and could be using it for the betterment of his glory as well. Something I picked up on your bio, obviously, you know, with my team of researchers, <laughs> was that you like to see other churches work together. Mm. How beneficial has this book been to bring churches together on it? There's a guy and his wife down in Devon, Andrew and Morag, who heard about Try Praying a couple of years ago and loved it. And what they have done in North Devon is they have just from a standing start, they have brought together 40 churches in their area and they're all using Try Praying within a confined time period. Wow. And Andrew, he keeps banging on about this. We meet frequently and we have little prayer meetings and so on, but he keeps banging on. He says, I absolutely love Try Praying. It is the one thing that has brought churches together in our area. And the unintended consequence, he said, is that it's brought about unity across the churches. What's happened in North Devon is now spreading to South Devon. There's just so many, so many places. In Scotland, we have I mean, it's just it's a fascinating extra dimension to this. But um, 14 years ago, uh, we felt that we just there were a number of churches were going to use this, uh, the use it and lose it thing and so on. Uh, but what we felt we should do is to put it into the public space. Mm. And we prayed for and asked for a pile of money. I think it was about 20,000 pounds. So we could put it on the sides of buses and have a strong advertising campaign in Edinburgh along with banners outside churches mm-hmm. with Try Praying on it. And by the grace of God, we got the money and we had this advertising campaign for a month, which was across the whole of Edinburgh. It was not just, you know, two or three buses or five or six buses. We had 60 buses trundling across Edinburgh. Wow. It was visible. It was accessible. It just, it's really hit the public space. Now, the amazing thing is this one-month advertising that we did then has repeated every year and we are going into our 14th year in about five weeks time when we're going to be having 60 buses trundling across Edinburgh. However, in the last two years, it's been across the whole of Scotland. So every major city and every town city, wherever there's a bus depot, it's had Try Praying stuff on it for a month. So people know about Try Praying. It is out there. The statistics, if you believe them. I was going to ask you about this because I'm fascinated. Go for it. Okay. So it, it's an independent research agency that the, um, the advertisers use called Reach. And just by the number of buses and the locations of the buses, they reckon we have, we have reached 65% of the adult population of Scotland who would have seen our logo and who will have seen it 13.8 times last year okay we did some research ourselves i, I met somebody who's an advertiser he runs an advertising agency and uh, he it's very very gratifying actually he said he was a christian he said as an advertiser i've seen try praying and i wished i had done it <laughs> he said it's excellent what you've done but he said to me have you got any metrics and i said well to be honest i wasn't sure what a metric was <laughs> good answer <laughs> i said no but we've got some good stories and <laughs> He said, well, you need some metrics, you need some evaluation. And we argued a bit and I lost the argument. And we ended up doing 500 online surveys of people in the Edinburgh city region. It's a few years ago now. And the staggering results were when this guy came back and we had this meeting in in the office, in Philip's office, and uh, we had uh, 45 minutes of bar charts and statistics. (laughs) You'd have loved it. It, Well, if he was on the flip charts, definitely. (laughs) The two main takeaways were that in in this area, we have 54% brand awareness of Try Praying. Over half of the population of Edinburgh know about Try Praying. That's a conversation starter for everybody. It is. Advertisers would give their eye teeth to get 5%, and we have got over 50%. Statistics and statistics, and we know that statistics can mean anything. Yeah. But what do you glean from these statistics? Well, that was another one of these questions was, have people prayed as a result yeah. on these 500 online surveys? And remarkably, I'm going to struggle to remember the exact figures, but uh, I think it was 12% of secular Edinburgh pray regularly. But within one week of our advertising, that had 
leapt to 31%. Wow. Crunching the numbers, it comes out at about 31,000 people might have prayed. So I'm happy with that. Yeah. So that's the kind of macro picture. And, and it is, you know, I keep using the word bewildered. I am I'm amazed. You know, there's a guy who was in Birmingham and he saw Try Praying on a banner there, thought that's cool. He's American. He eventually connected with me. He's from Seattle. And he is now actually working full time with Try Praying in America. He's, be, he's beavering away in Seattle. Uh, the same project is beginning to roll out across Seattle. Forget this. I think it's about 400 churches in America that are using this. You know, the, just the logo itself has kind of replicated uh, activity in other, in other places. People see it and things yeah, go yeah. on. The macro thing aside, what really excites me is the micro. And it's the individual stories that uh, keep this thing alive. I could tell you that so we have rafts of stories of what's happened in people's lives as a consequence. And here's a good story that amused me. I kind of like it because I was involved in it. But um, Claire and I were up in, we were on holiday a couple of years ago in Loch Inver. Now, you'll know where Loch Inver is, won't you? Absolutely. It's just north of where you were last week. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> it's way up in the far northwest of Scotland. It's a fishing port and it's beautiful there. Anyway, we were on holiday. I got a coffee, takeaway coffee, and went to the to the harbour. Just walked along the harbour, and there were two guys, two fishermen actually, mending their nets. Would you believe? And I thought, oh, that's rather biblical. So I said, oh, come follow me. No, I didn't. <laughs> very good, very good. We just got into conversation, uh, and they were literally mending their nets. And I, we had ten minutes of very easy conversation about fishing. What kind of fish do you fish and how often do you go out and this kind of stuff? What do you think about Brexit? That got them going. I bet that did. Then they switched it and said, well, what about you? What do you do? So I said, well, I'm involved in this thing called Try Praying. And uh, we had 10 minutes of very easy conversation, faith sharing. I told them how I'd become a Christian and this, that and the other. And you won't be surprised, but I passed over a Try Praying booklet. Just Well, you have one on board. <laughs> I always carry one with me. I said, try, you know, why don't you try praying for a week and see what happens? See, that's the phrase. So that was it. All very comfortable. The, the conversation goes out into the ether, as it were. Yeah. You never know the effect of it. Well, three weeks later, we got an email from somebody from Thurso. Yes, right, literally on the top corner of Scotland. Top right. <laughs> and uh, toed and froed with him about uh, what he wanted. And uh, he was asking for 10 copies of the Try Praying booklet. How did he hear about it? He said, well, my son is a fisherman and he fishes out of Loch Inver in the far northwest. And he met this person who gave him a Try Praying booklet. And he read the booklet and really liked it. And then he gave it to me and I read it and engaged with it. And it's changed my attitude. And I want 10 copies to give to my friends and family. Wow. And did you tell him it was you? <laughs> no, I kept quiet about that. <laughs> There's a guy called Paul who um, was given a booklet, church here in Edinburgh, actually, uh, from an, on an alpha course. And he was working his way through it and he got to day five, which is about where the cross is explained mm -hmm. and the whole process of forgiveness. And he came up to his church leader the following Sunday, tears in his eyes. And he said, this has been the most profound experience that I've had on my journey to faith. There's another guy called John who was given a booklet, again, not far from where I live here and not given by me, but uh, by our church. And he was actually suffering from cancer. And he worked his way through the booklet and did everything that it said. On, on each day, there's something you can do. It's not just read, mm -hmm. but there's something you can do, like pick up a telephone and say, God, I need communication with you or carry a stone and so on. Well, day six is where the whole process of Christ coming to our lives and the spirit dwelling within us is explained. And the thing that you can do there is you can walk out Revelation 3.20 about Jesus standing at the door and knocking. Yes. He opens the door, I will come in. And so you're just encouraged to go to your door, go to your front door and open your door and say, Jesus, you're welcome in my life. Well, John did that. He opened his front door, he opened his living room door, and he sat down on the settee. And he looked up, he couldn't believe his eyes, but he actually saw Jesus standing there, white, glowing, hands outstretched. And John said, you know, the hair on the back of my head was standing on end, and he asked Christ to heal him and to come into his life. Wow completely transformed him i met john and uh i, I actually <laughs> recorded very badly his uh, his story on my iphone but it's absolutely genuine 
So it's the stories uh, of changed lives that keep this thing alive. Yes. I love the macro picture. I love kind of statistics of availability of um, or awareness of a logo and stuff like that. But the heart of this yes. is people getting hold of this and beginning to trust Christ with their lives. Brilliant. Two things that come to mind, and then we'll, we'll wrap up, if that's okay, with who your Christian hero is. For those that are listening, think, wow, the idea of buses, that sounds great, but I don't think it's going to work because, and immediately come up with genuine reasons, like it's, we wouldn't get it through the bus companies or whatever. What happened to you when you, you approached the bus company and the advertising agency said, this is what I want to do? It wasn't a problem. They were happy for it. If we had a logo which was visible, which said, for example, you know, try praying and you'll get the job or try praying and you'll be healed, they are unverifiable truth claims. But what we have is try praying. And they, currently there's a tagline which says it could change your life. But when it's just an open possibility which we put in front of people. And so the advertising standards are very happy with that. We contacted uh, the agency and the agency, uh, 14 years we've worked with them. They've been very happy. No objections, no problems. Wow. Downsides? What have you experienced downside-wise that you're thinking, ah, oh, right, if I could do it again, I wouldn't do this. What would it be? Um, I think it's keeping it fresh and longevity of a project is a big challenge. So churches in Edinburgh, we had about 70 churches all doing this together the first year. And those numbers have dipped and risen and dipped and so on. So keeping it fresh, that, that's a challenge and it's a kind of relational challenge because it's a matter of just having the relationships with church leaders and so on. So that's not exactly a downside, but that's that's a challenge. Yeah. I think most of the downside would be my capacity as a person to handle this thing. So we do we have a small team now. There's I've got a good set of trustees and there's three stroke four of us working on it. Having capacity to extend this is the big challenge for us as well. We've said very often that you know this really could go anywhere. This is this is such an easy, accessible project for churches. It's such an accessible thing for non-Christians that this can and this could and should go to many, many countries. Well, at the moment, it's all being coordinated from a spare bedroom in a house in Edinburgh. <laughs> so, capacity, the increase of capacity, is a big one. Yeah. What about then, because you mentioned Alpha, the Alpha course, which has been phenomenally mm. successful. Yeah. And I'm only just twigging onto it, actually. Yeah, it goes back quite quite a few decades, really. Yeah. And a couple came along and they went to church. That was their idea. So Alpha Seedling is taking several years for Alpha course to be where mm. it is now. What's your relationship with Alpha course? We're very friendly. <laughs> I'll tell you a story, actually. Thank you. Try praying is used a lot in Alpha courses on the on the prayer week. So we get requests for churches to, to use Tripray on the course. So I went to, to take a church service in a, a church in Fife, which is just over the, from where I am, it's just over the Firth of Forth. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of Fs there, aren't there? Yeah. Firth of Forth and Fife. Um, There's a great track called Firth of Fifth as well, but that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> I went along and people want me to tell the latest story about Tripray. So I did, I told this story. And the, the one that I'd heard a couple of weeks beforehand was of somebody whose journey to faith was a Tripray booklet then an alpha course, and he became a Christian, and he was baptised in the Firth of Forth. Wow. Underneath the road bridge. Only the brave do that yeah. here. <laughs> so I told that story, and this chap at the back of the church put his hand up and said, that was me. So honest reaction, I hope I told that story properly, because stories get embellished. Yes. <laughs> he was followed by a whale. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway... Um, I said, oh, look, let's, let's meet afterwards, have a coffee and tell me a story. So I did that and I met Wilson. And the more I listened to Wilson's story, the more I realized this was not the story I'd heard. The story I'd heard was a guy, try praying booklet, Alpha Course, baptized in the Firth of Forth. But on the south side, the Edinburgh side, Wilson said, uh, it's try praying booklet, Alpha Course, and he was baptized. But on the north side, and it turns out they were about a week apart from each other. Uh, it's a fascinating story. And we've actually introduced them to each other. They're kind of cousins in the Lord, these two people. <laughs> but yeah, that's answering, answering your question with an anecdote there. Yeah. That, uh, Alpha and Try Praying sits very comfortably. Does, isn't it? The um, Alpha Prayer Coordinator in America is now on our board in America. And she absolutely loves Try Praying. She's been banging on about exactly this, that um, Try Praying 
and alpha sit together so well because try praying kind of opens up spiritual conversations with people which can then be followed on with an invitation to an alpha course well that's really good because i think to sum it all up the number of times you hear about people have a great idea and they don't for one reason or other, maybe deliberately don't talk to other people who could come on board and work together. Mm. And it really does sadden me that churches sometimes just do not want to work together. And yeah. here you are yeah. coming alongside the Alpha course and look what's going on. Yeah. For those that want to know more about this, I'm sure you know the answer to this. <laughs> how, can they, <laughs> how can they find out, please? Okay, we've got two websites. One is trypraying.org. And that is the one we keep clean of all the Christian stuff. That is for inquirers. So people that might want to explore just discovering faith for themselves. Our other website is called Do Try Praying. So do dot do try praying.org. And that's where you can get all the under the counter stuff for churches and how you can find out about it. Oh, you can just imagine some kind of, excuse me, sir. Have you got that under the counter stuff, you know, for Christians? Yeah. <laughs> That's a great way of doing it. I love that. So it's do.trypraying.org if you want the the under-counter stuff. And if you don't want the under-the-counter stuff and you want, you know, the the basic one, you go for trypraying.org. Yeah, that's it. And if anybody has come up with a really good idea and they want to run it past you, maybe they want to take out loads of buses with the advertising on or do something, Mm. how can they get hold of you? Well, uh, they can email us. Um, very happy about that. David at trypraying.org. People, in fact, we're looking for, I mean, the whole thing is being campaigned around Easter. So March, April, mm-hmm. May, churches and groups of churches are lining up to use this as a, as a kind of united campaign across the country. Yeah. So we're praying for a thousand churches this year that will use Try Praying. We had about 600 last year. So we'd love that. We'd love to be to hear from people that are interested either for their own church or for a group of churches. We would love to talk with them. Brilliant. Well, David, you're not the lead guitarist from Slade. Maybe one day I'll be able to speak to him. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a phenomenal podcast. I I do say to every guest I write to that quite often we go off on a different tangent from what Mm. we were going to do. So I thank you so much for your humility on that and showing about Nathan. And please say hello Mm. to him as well. Mm. The other thought that came to mind was that when you proposed to Claire, did you do it underneath a new lantern and said, you are the light of my life? <laughs> nice line. Yeah, but you didn't, obviously. Right. <laughs> Which leads in very nicely, sir, if that's right to say. David Hill, who is your Christian hero, please? Well, it's somebody that I've never met, uh, but I hope to at some stage. There's somebody called Jeremiah Lanfear. Okay. He was somebody who was in New York in the 1850s. Uh, he was a kind of... Um, evangelist based in a church and uh, he uh, was trying this that and the other but he decided that he would have a he would hold a prayer meeting and he advertised it and uh, this was 1857 on the wednesday at one at 12 o'clock at noon mm-hmm. and uh, nobody came uh, for half an hour so he prayed by himself for half an hour and then another person came and then another four came so he had five people in his hour-long prayer meeting six with himself the next week there were 10 then the next week there were 20 and then within a few weeks he was having 20 different prayer meetings and they took over burton's theater uh, which was capable of holding three thousand people for their prayer meetings prayer meetings got crowded out Uh, by the end of march every downtown new york church and public hall was filled to capacity and 10,000 men were praying daily. So that was a noontime prayer meeting. And what happened was, as J. Edwin Orr, who is a great church historian, said that this broke into evangelism. And uh, he said people were being converted 10,000 a week. He said in that revival, it's the 1830s, uh, sorry, 1850s, 1860s, they reckoned that 3 million people, sorry, 1 million people were converted. 3% of the population of America were converted in that year. So Jeremiah Lanfear probably had no idea what he was doing when he just put a stake in the ground and said, hey, let's pray. And then gradually he had to hold his, had to hold his own and keep going. 
But people came and people came and it just caught on. It was like a wildfire. What else happened to him that we know? Uh, he just he just kept leading prayer meetings. This was his thing. He, he continued to do this. Uh, he reckoned they had um, he had led, what's it, I think about 15,000 prayer meetings by the time he died. You see, he, he didn't go into other avenues of media, did he? Although it didn't exactly <laughs> exist in the 1850s. But you know what I mean? Yeah. He was like, that's yeah, what God wanted yeah. him to do. And that's what he did. He just kept going for it. Yeah. And he just stuck at it. Maybe that's something for you to think on, David, that you, know, you do not go into a TV mogul empire mode <laughs> from Tribe Frey. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dave, for spending time with us today. It's been phenomenal. And as we close, just give us the email addresses again, please, for those that want to contact you or the website address, please, whatever's best. Yeah, so, well, the websites are uh, trypraying.org for inquirers and do.trypraying.org for the church stuff where you can get the resources. And uh, you can email directly, david at trypraying.org. Love to hear from you. It's been a phenomenal podcast. David Hill, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been brilliant. Thank you.